Welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. This is our second episode. I am glad to be here. Listen, there is a question that I've been asked much in the past, and I really haven't had this conversation in a while because I've been out of Southern Baptist circles for a while. I still have friends in the Southern Baptist Convention, and I and I and I speak with them. And um, and uh, but but we we usually do not get into. Uh, this conversation here, or at least I haven't been in this conversation in a while, but since this is the Baptist broadcast, and since the obvious uh, center of 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 this of this podcast really is distinctive or Baptist uh, Baptist distinctives, um, I thought I would talk a little bit about why I am not a Southern Baptist, and and why I don't think. A Calvinist can consistently, or in good conscience, subscribe to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Now, I know that a lot of Calvinist churches that are in the Southern Baptist Convention do not necessarily uh, live and die by the BFM 2000. In fact, I, I once asked someone, a professor at, at, uh, at, at the seminary I uh, graduated from, or the college I graduated from, I apologize, Spurgeon College. Uh, I I once asked one of the professors there, "What does it take to stay in the Southern Baptist Convention? Uh, what's the bare minimum uh, for a church to consider itself a member or to be considered a member in the Southern Baptist Con- Convention?" And basically, it came down to giving to the cooperative program, which the cooperative program, as as many people know. Uh, as many of you listeners probably know, is that program that that really funds you know fundamental or vital ministries in the Southern Baptist Convention, like uh, the North American Mission Board, uh, and and several other uh, other entities that that uh, exist within the convention. And so it, it's not necessarily a one hundred percent subscription to the Baptist faith and message. Uh, which this I think is part of the reason why the SBC has always had trouble with with dealing with people who who begin to step aside. You know, they they allow little compromises in the BFM two thousand or or concerning the BFM two thousand, like for example what we're going to talk about here. But they don't. Uh, and, and then the art the the line of course where the SBC might need to vote during a convention to remove a church is always arbitrary. I mean, right now it's the whole women pastor thing. Um, but, but, and, and of course, you know, uh, fee, the concept of female pastors goes against the BFM 2000. And that's, that's, you know, one line that a lot of conservative uh, SBC members have drawn. Uh, but then there are other uh, serious errors that I think are allowed to exist in the SBC uh, that are compromises with the BFM 2000 that the convention does nothing about. So it, it, the problem with not requiring full subscription for membership in the convention is, is that, is that it results in, in constant, uh, conflict over arbitrary lines being drawn in the sand because they're not, they're not distinguished or defined or discerned via the, the confession, the standing confession. Um, but I want to talk about Article Three. It's it's the uh, it's the article on anthropology or the doctrine of man. It's just it's just the article on man. If you if you read the BFM two thousand on online, and um, this is one of the key reasons why while I was in seminary, uh, I I did not buy in 
to the the uh, I don't want to say the concept. That's probably a bad word, but for lack of a better term, I didn't buy into the concept of the Southern Baptist Convention, um, and 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 I I didn't like how the confessional standards, which is the BFM two thousand, are not really treated like confessional standards, uh, and not only that, but the confessional standards have errors in them from from my theological uh, background. Um, in my opinion, they are errors, and I'll, and I'll point one out to you here. This is one of the main reasons for why I did not continue within the Southern Baptist Convention as a member of a Southern Baptist church. All right, It's, it's Article 3 of the BFM 2000, and we'll just start from the beginning. It says, man is the special creation of God. Check. All right, we might even say man is the apex of of creation, the crown jewel of creation, as it were, created on the sixth day to cap off all of God's creative work, and then God rested on the seventh day. He's made in his own image, it says. Check. That's true. He created them male and female as the crowning work of his creation. We just said that. The gift of gender, okay, is thus part of the goodness of God's creation. Check. In the beginning, man was innocent of sin and in, and was endowed by his creator with freedom of choice. Check. By his free choice, man sinned against God and brought sin into the human race. Check. Through the temptation of Satan, man transgressed the command of God. Check. And fell from his original innocence, whereby his posterity inherit a nature and an environment inclined towards sin. Uncheck. That is the first problem right there, is that we, it does not say that we actually inherit or have imputed to us Adam's sin. You know, you have this whole Augustinian idea that, uh, you know, it's as if we were there in the garden with Adam committing the first sin. That's how, that's how powerful this idea of imputation is. Okay. And, And instead of, and instead of saying that Adam's sin was imputed to us and that we are just as guilty as Adam is, just by virtue of being born in Adam, it only says that we are inclined towards sin. Okay, we have a nature and an environment inclined towards sin, which is true, but that's not the whole truth. And the reason that it's framed that way is so that they can be as inclusive as possible to different theological positions, such as something like Arminianism, who might uh, who might uh, soften the idea of original sin. Um, and then it goes on and it says, therefore, as soon as they are capable of moral action, they become transgressors and are under condemnation, uh, which which implies, of course, that before a person is capable of moral action, they're not transgressors and they're not under condemnation. Now, there are two responses that you could possibly give to this. And one response is you could just say, well, we assume that babies right out of the womb are capable of moral action, right? Babies babies right out of the womb are, are, are capable of moral action. So yes, they're born in iniquity and, uh, and, and, and they're sinners right out of the womb, okay? But I, I don't think that you could, you could frame that sentence in those terms for the very reason that if that was the case, then there would be no reason to have that sentence in the first place. You would just say that everyone is born in sin, 
or everyone born in Adam is born in sin and in need of a redeemer. It doesn't say that. It says, therefore, as soon as they are capable of moral action, they become transgressors and are under the law. So they're, they're now liable to sin. All right. Uh, they, they're, they're liable to sin. They just haven't sinned yet. And then when they finally do sin, they're, they're determined as, as transgressors, judged as transgressors and are under condemnation. Uh, whereas we would say, I, I think the more orthodox take on it, uh, to avoid saying that you know people are essentially born born guiltless, which I don't think the scriptures allow us to 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 do, and and we'll get there here in just a minute. But we would say, well, every person who's descended from Adam is guilty of Adam's sin. That's this whole idea, this whole dynamic between the first Adam and the last Adam. This idea of federal headship that we are guilty of Adam's sin because it's imputed to us, okay? And, 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 and Scripture simply doesn't allow us to get off the hook, right? It doesn't allow us to, to, to kind of opine a period of, 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 of innocence as soon as we're born, okay? And the reason for that is because you have, you have texts like, like, like Psalm 51, Five that says, you know, I was I was conceived in iniquity, but there are stronger texts than that in the Psalms. Psalm fifty-eight, for for example, it says, "The wicked are estranged from the womb or separated from the womb; they go astray as soon as they are born." So, not only do you have the the imputed uh, sin of Adam, not only do you have that, but you are actually born a sinner. And there's no probationary period, so to speak. There's no period of innocence where you're where where you're not where you're not considered a transgressor and under condemnation. You are always considered a transgressor and under condemnation from the very second of conception. Not only because you have the sin of Adam imputed to you, but because you 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 have you have a sin nature that's been passed down. And that sin nature is not only inclined towards sin, it's not only a nature that 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 has a propensity towards sin, it does, but it's actually sinful. It's actually sinful and in need of redemption. It is an object of God's condemnation. Right off the bat. Right off the bat. You've got texts all over the place. Psalm 51 Psalm 58, no one is righteous. You think of uh, of Paul going forward into Romans 3, verse 10, and then verse 23, for we all fall short of the glory of God. That's without exception. Okay, and uh, so so th- this whole idea that there is this period where there is essentially no uh, no original sin. Okay, you just you just you're just inclined toward it. But you're not actually a sinner until you grow up and 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 commit some moral atrocity or some sin in the eyes of God. And a lot of the, you know, this this is part of the reason why a lot of churches have adopted this idea of an age of accountability. But at some point, there's there's an age of accountability, and it may be different for for some than others. Uh, but there there is an age where a child becomes morally responsible but before then they're not under condemnation and of course you always have the you know you get the concern that well if they are under condemnation and they're not capable of moral action they're not capable of repentance 
Um, and, and so if they're not capable of repentance at that age, then, then they're going to, to, to die an eternal death, right? If they're sinners right out of the womb and they die in their infancy, then they're going to hell. And that's always the concern. But, you know, then you have arguments, you know, John MacArthur makes a, makes an argument. And I think a lot of, a lot of the Puritan literature uh, are sympathetic toward this position. I, I'm pretty sure even John Owen is that when a, an infant dies, that that's actually a sign of their elect status. Uh, so when an infant dies in infancy, it is it is an evidence to us that that they that they were elect of God, um, and and the argument just comes from God's kind of general disposition toward children, uh, which the the apex of that disposition or the revelation of that of that of that disposition toward children really comes in Christ and, and through Christ in the New Testament. You see how he talks about children and how he has compassion on the children and, and so on. Uh, they seem to occupy very, uh, a special place in, in the mediator's heart. Uh, and so, you know, there, there, there are all sorts of arguments and, and considerations that you could, you could, you could ponder when it comes to the fate of infants or the, the destiny of infants whenever they die in infancy. And of course, that's always a, an issue for parents who have lost a dear child uh, is my is my child's salvation secure? You know they want to, they want some assurance that their infant is in glory. And um, MacArthur, I, I would recommend that uh, if you are struggling with that, just as a pastoral side note, if you're struggling with that, get a hold of uh, MacArthur's book called "Safe in the Arms of God," uh, where he takes that issue on. And 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 writes a whole book on it. Very useful. Um, but there have been many who have who have struggled with that issue, and I and I I I uh, I cannot relate, uh, but I can I can understand to some extent why that would be troublesome. Um, so anyway, the the BFM two thousand uh, article number three. It, it doesn't. And here's how I'm going to sum this up. It does not produce a an orthodox doctrine of original sin. It does not. And so uh, it's that article, I, I think, is a terrible article. I don't think it, I don't think it should be in there. Uh, there are other things, of course, that are way too broad, way too sweeping. And, and of course, the, the sentiment or the goal of, the, of, of this kind of a statement is to include as many people or as many churches as possible in the convention. Whereas you have like the the goal of the Second London Confession was to be as exclusive as possible, um, and the the reason for that is because doctrine is sacred, uh, the truth of God's revelation is sacred, and it's nothing to be trifled with. It's nothing nothing to be uh, obscure about, um, and so uh, it should be as as detailed as possible um, uh, on on the main things. And uh, the BFM 2000 just is not. So that's one of the reasons I, I never jumped on. I did for a little bit, I guess. I, 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 I was a member at an SBC church for a short while. Uh, and everyone there I, I, I loved and, and I, I appreciated and, and we got along greatly. Um, but eventually my wife and I had to move on. Um, we, we just weren't being fed. It was the programming and, and all of this stuff that just... We felt like we were 
participating in worship that could have been uh, better. And I and it's not that we were looking for a a perfect scenario. Uh, we knew that that didn't exist. Um, but there were other churches around where we could have where we could where we could have went and worshipped with a clearer conscience, and that's what led us to eventually leave there. And and I really, from that point on, I really never considered in terms of ministry or church membership, uh, submitting myself or my family to a a to the authority of of a, a to the authority and accountability of a church in the SBC, in the Southern Baptist Convention. And and part of the reason is because of this doctrinal statement here. It is not strong enough, and it is blatantly uh, inaccurate and problematic from a theological standpoint. Um, and uh, and so yeah, so it's nothing really personal against any anybody, you know, that I've ever rubbed shoulders with or elbows with in the SBC or any of my friends or any of that. It's 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 doctrinal. The concern is doctrinal, uh, and there's a lot of practical. Uh, I think errors that come from this idea of wanting to be as inclusive as possible. So anyway, I, I hope that this was helpful. I hope it was uh, uh, insightful in terms of the BFM 2000. If you've ever had a question about that, and and uh, uh, and that that article there on man. So if you if you appreciated this, I'd I'd appreciate it if you would share the. The episode, and uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your time wherever you are. Wonderful rest of your day, rest of your week, rest of your work day, whatever it is. God bless you guys. <laughs>